So last weekend there was a intense tragedy in Las Vegas, and we want to have respect for um, all the people affected by this. Um, but in in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of the show, um, the way we have respect for those people is to do something, and that thing to be done is to love and respect our neighbors. Uh, the thing that creates this kind of tragedy isn't any failure of regulation, but a failure of community, and ultimately a failure of society. While stricter gun laws may help curb some gun violence in certain ways, and assuredly addressing the culture of gun violence in America would go a long way to prevent these kind of terrorist attacks from occurring, um, ultimately, we have to take the responsibility for these kind of violent acts and strive to make them abhorrent in our society. And I, I think it's very important to mention, too, that we can directly connect these kind of attacks to capitalism. Um, the stock of American gun companies jumps up every time there's a mass shooting, every time there's a threat of regulation, every time guns are in the news in a big way. So the companies have a vested interest in letting shootings like this happen. It literally makes them money. It's good for business. But something that we also need to remember, and perhaps what's most important here, is that these kinds of shootings aren't how people die from guns in America. Two out of every three gun deaths in America are suicides, and one out of every five gun deaths is directly related to gang or street violence. And the third one, one out of 20 or 1,700 deaths a year, are women being killed by abusive men. Mass shootings don't come close to those numbers, and those three can also be directly connected to American capitalism. The first, which is also a, probably a connection to most mass shootings, is the massive alienation that goes along with our society mm -hmm. and the lack of access to healthcare for depression, for, Other for things illness. like that. Yeah, and, and not even mental illness in the sense of, of how we normally do, where we so often try to scapegoat white terrorism as mental illness, but just normal stuff that doesn't normally fall under the category of mental illness. Stuff like depression, stuff like alienation, stuff like not having a community that you're a part of. Mm -hmm. um, the second, the, the gang and street violence is, is directly connected to capitalism's need for a surplus population. Uh, in Marxist terms, the reserve army of labor, and the need to have a group of people that in America is racialized as black people, especially, that don't have access to the economy, don't have access to the normal ways of making money, and are, and are forced, in a lot of cases, to exist in this, in this dangerous street world because they're shut out from the normal ways of surviving. Um, and, and the third way with, with abusive men killing women is also a thing that's related to mass shootings because these mass shootings are overwhelmingly white men killing people, right? And that's the toxic images of masculinity so deeply attached to quote-unquote being American and so often used to sell things, especially to sell guns. You know, owning a gun is, is a masculine thing and so on. And, you know, if we do have a gun problem in America, which we do, mass shootings are only a small part of it. And they're a part of what we have to address. But if we want to talk about gun problems, what we need to talk about is, is that, are, are these problems too. And if I'm being entirely honest, we, we don't properly, in this sense, have a gun problem. We have a capitalism problem that's exacerbated by the existence of guns in our country. That's what we need to talk about. And that is, is what counts here, is politicizing it, is saying this is because of a political... Uh, society that we exist in because of the political realities of American capitalism. And the, yeah, like, and, and, and like we mentioned earlier, the way that you can have respect for the dead is not to 
unpoliticize it or to make it some abstract thing that happened in a box, but to go to the root causes of these problems and to sniff them out and snuff them out so that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. And to ignore it is just to continue the problem. Exactly. Many months has come and gone since I wandered from my home In those Oklahoma hills where I was born Many a page of life has turned, many a lesson I have learned Well, I feel like in those hills I still belong Way down yonder in the Indian nation Ride my pony on the reservation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born now we're down yonder in the Indian nation The cowboy's life is my occupation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born I'm Adam Burnett And I'm Carl Roberts And this is Red Star Over Oklahoma We are a small political and news podcast Broadcasting about left politics and left politics in Oklahoma How you doing this week, Carl? Uh, doing pretty good We're starting up school uh, on Monday again Ooh. Got the semester to go through Fun, fun, fun Well, since it has been almost a year since the election, it is finally time for us to try and tackle the role of social media in the prior election uh, and how, you know, different forces impacted the outcome and the social environment surrounding our politically diverse culture. Uh, And here today with us to discuss this complex issue is our resident meme lord in chief, Mr. Uh, Parker Nelson. How you doing, Parker? Uh, Doing well. Appreciate y'all having me on. Yeah, of course. Um, So where we wanted to start, I mean, obviously the... You know, the election and the role of social media in it was, was you know, massive. Um, you know, I was pretty swayed by Hillary Clinton's use of emojis, uh, which has, you know, been my big sticking point. But I, I think that, you know, one of the first things we want to address in this kind of discussion is the, the practical usage of social media as an organizational tool. Um, I think that it was really first apparent uh, how powerful social media was with the Arab Spring. Um, and uh we, we following the self-immolation of a uh you know if, if you're not sure what the arab spring is following the self-immolation of a street vendor in tunisia um it went viral and people used twitter and facebook uh to organize protests and eventually that led to the fall of three governments and uh tunisia actually went through a constitutional referendum very quickly but egypt and libya have been in major strife since that point because of the the, the power that this had, and, and Syria, and Syria. <laughs> also, yeah. also yeah. Syria, pretty important. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I actually, um, I made my whole high school foreign extemporaneous, <laughs> uh, uh, speech team career on being like Arab Spring and social media is crazy, guys. Um, and I, I did very well with that because I mean, I, that was a huge deal. Right. And, Especially and, the and Iranians that, censoring the Twitter, you know what I mean? Uh, everything like that, trying to suppress a lot of that sort of uh, Twitter revolution stuff. So, Yeah, yeah, the Green Revolution in Iran was also uh, um, Twitter-driven mm-hmm. as well. And then also, I mean, I think the first time I was ever like properly politicized, so to say, was Occupy Wall Street. Um, and I did Occupy Toll, which is a joke of a thing, but good and healthy that I did that. And I mean, Occupy was in the West, the first proper hashtag campaign, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. Sort of a grassroots start for for the West. Yeah, and it, I mean, I I think anybody who paid attention to the last election, like, already it was there in 2008, you know, Obama had a pretty good 
kind of data-driven campaign, and then in 2012 it was a thing, but, I mean, fucking Hillary Clinton putting a thing about Pepe the Frog on her goddamn campaign website, like, that... <laughs> that's a big deal, I think. And right. I, we, were, we were all on Bernie Sanders' that meme stash. Mm-hmm. Oh, that absolutely. the best... Me- I look forward to, you know what I mean, all of this, socio- like as the resident meme lord in chief here, uh, some of the sociological uh, studies that are going to come out on how memes affected the political election. I know we're going to get into a little bit more, uh, you know what I mean, the Russians and, and targeted ads and that sort of sense. But memes, I like to think, had a bigger, played a much bigger part. Maybe it was just the left, you know, crying itself to sleep at night, but we'll see. Yeah, and I mean, uh, and- yeah, yeah, I think that um, I think that I mean I think that you know especially for the left you know the 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 discussion of memes in this I think is really cool because honestly what I think it it speaks to is how powerful social media is I mean you know it 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 gives that platform to everyone um, and I think that that was one of the reasons why you see the censorship in Iran and you see the censorship in China and you see the attempted censorship in Egypt. But people recognize the power of these things because not only can you very quickly spread ideas, but ideas can mutate very quickly. And you can get a representation of the population that you really can't get because this is one of the few things that almost everyone engages. And so, yeah, I think that I think that that all speaks to the power uh, inherent in the structure of what did the, I, I had a scholarly article here about this uh, that called it information communication technologies. Mm-hmm. But well, I mean, I mean yeah. if you just if, if you just think about, I think a lot of my experience because I also just ship post memes on my Facebook. As anybody who is friends with me on Facebook knows, um, everyone add me on Facebook if you want. If you're listening, um, it's fucking crazy to see like there are people. There was somebody who I hadn't talked to for like two years, and we were just like hanging in like similar groups of friends, not even the same group of friends, and they started like fucking tagging me in memes and, and commie memes out of the blue, and I was like, that's dope you know yeah. like that connection would have right. never happened i mean not even that but social yeah. media. a lot of my a lot of my friends as well who and i don't i'm not speaking to any you know 100 percent authority on this but like a, some some of the folks at the very least i know that they have not read very much leftist literature at all but they are still reposting my shit posting memes and because memes are such a vehicle for ideas in that sense you know what i mean especially for the left in terms of gravitating people more towards an exposure towards those ideas to um maybe discounting some of the uh propaganda surrounding it in the mainstream media those types of things you know what i mean uh necessarily um not to get too stuck on the meme, you know, but uh, it, it provides much more of an avenue for uh, political discussion and slash or a widening of, of, of political opinions at the very least, you know, and that's something that the Internet does as a whole, you know what I mean? But um, necessarily Facebook is a medium, you know what I mean? Trying to remain on that. Uh, I don't know, man, I, I got a lot of stats for you later on. But <laughs> in terms of in terms of uh, there was there was one of them that was. Um, Basically, 20% of the uh, internet internet websites visited in the United States are mediated through Facebook. You know what I mean? So how it's become this sort of overwhelming um, platform for sustaining a multitude of websites. Because like, the, the very fact that a lot of these websites are reliant upon clicks through Facebook and not necessarily through search engines or other, other means of, you know what I mean, uh, getting gaining viewers or, or content clicks, uh, it's, that's kind of massive, you know? So, definitely. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I think I think one of the things um, you guys said a second ago about, um, you know, uh, 
presenting these ideas to people who may not have actually engaged with the literature before, I think that's so important because for the last 120 years, mm-hmm. all real leftist literature has been demonized. I mean, you're just as likely to find the, the Communist Manifesto or Das Kapital in a pile with Mein Kampf as you are to find it in a pile with Trotsky. And I think that, you know, that demonization has negated some of the really great ideas that come out of those things because of the history that surrounded them. And, you know, I don't, you know Stalin may not have been the best fella ever. And I think that that has tainted so much worldview and the, the terrible, you know, propaganda from the U.S. has kind of tainted that worldview. And now these people are engaging with these ideas when they don't necessarily know the root of it. And it's like, oh, wow, this is a really great idea. Why haven't I been exposed to this prior to this? Why wasn't I taught this in school? And it, you know, goes back to the the capitalist problem that we have in this country. But to move on. Well, I, I, I think, yeah, yeah. I just think, like, like of course... I don't want to mention this because we're, we're, we're going to come back around to it, but I think it's important to remember, especially for us, since, and this is another, there are two things here to remember. One is that this is like content, content neutral. And two, we're like, all three of us and all of our friends are in a very left-wing media space. And so like, True. it provides those connections for us, but it also does that for the far right, which is a big deal. Yeah, and we're, we're going to get to that, though. Yeah, we're going to get to thing we can talk about later. I think it is a kind of interesting tidbit, you know what I mean, that it is much more of a, uh, and this might just be, you know what I mean, coming from uh, my own positionality within that sort of left-wing sphere, you know what I mean, but more of a uh, seeing how historically things, uh, like like what Adam was talking about, a lot of those uh, literature bases being extremely politicized, and you can see this sort of depoliticization, if I, eh, this might, might be a word, might not be, uh, but in terms of uh, seeing those references from people that you actually engage with and necessarily uh, maybe giving the, those ethos a little bit more efficacy, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, c- coming from those particular sources rather than um, getting them through the very extremely limited uh, news outlets that you used to back in the 60s, you know what I mean? Et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, I don't know if it j- kind of social media as a platform can open those types of uh, avenues or I don't know, maybe convince people that, hey, it's not all bad, you know, but Give, give you a little bit more ethos in that regard. So yeah. but we can move on. Yeah, well, and so the next part uh, that we wanted to talk about, and, you know, obviously this is, you know, going to kind of be the next point, but um, is that the Russian, you know, Russia under Vladimir Putin definitely did attempt to influence this election um, through the utilization of social media. Um, it looks like uh, some of the investigations, uh, fa- Facebook is going to turn over over 3,000 advertisements that uh, Russian bots bought and paid for. Um, and it really looks like these, uh, these ads are on either side of divisive issues. Which, honestly, if, you know, if you think about the Russian, I mean, you know, the Russians have already kind of separated themselves from Donald Trump now that he's elected. And if you think about the, you know, the thing that Russia, the cui bono, you know, follow the money, who benefits and how do they benefit with Russia? The way they benefit is not through getting Donald Trump elected. The reason that they benefited from Donald Trump being elected is because it destabilized the country. It made everyone not know well, what also- was going on. Yeah. Also because Hillary Clinton wasn't elected. That, that's very oh, important yeah, yeah. Uh, to mention there. Because, I mean, I mean. I don't think they'd normally prefer a Republican over a Democrat because only more hawkish. But it, 
Hillary Clinton was extremely hawkish, mm-hmm. especially on Russia. And I, and I, and I think, I mean, what, what is Russian interest in a destabilized America? What is Russian interest in a, um, you know, in, in a Donald Trump presidency? It's less, l- less confrontation with the U.S. in certain spheres. And it's, it's kind of what, what Trump said in his U.N. speech. Where he was like, you know, we'll be friends when our interests align and when they don't. You know, maybe we don't worry about it, and we should all follow our own national interests here. That should be the the guiding motivator of of the international community, and that is very expressly the the kind of the the Ariadne's thread of Russian politics, so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and having someone in the U.S. who's like that, who's like, well, maybe fuck Europe. Uh, maybe maybe who cares about right NATO? The... We might help NATO. Yeah. We and the Russians, of course, are still fucking... They pay like, their fair share. <laughs> the Russians are still massively salty. Um, uh, Medvedev said something in like 2014 where he's like, we fucking remember when you Americans released $10 billion through the IMF so that the Communist Party wouldn't win the election in 1996. Like, we fucking know you all did that. <laughs> We're fully aware that you all with our first free, like properly free elections and ruin that shit. So fuck off. I mean, oh, it's pretty par for the course for the United States. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's one of those things. I th- I think part I, <laughs> I think part of why Russians meddled is because this is the first time they could, right? Like we, the U.S. Mm-hmm. Russia is still poorer than it was in 1989. That's not a joke. That's literally true. It is poorer than it was when the USSR ended. Um, mm-hmm. today. And and they finally had the opportunity for for very good bang for your buck, shit to mess with our politics. You know, they couldn't do that before. They can't release fucking ten billion dollars to the IMF to to change stuff. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I so I think that you know as 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 we kind of develop this. I mean, yeah, Russia used the power that it had where it had it, um, and I think that. Um, it's difficult to understand, you know, what, how, how do we, how do we move forward? Um, because this is, this is going to be a threat. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, how we keep our discourse free from that kind of influence. Um, Zuckerberg, there's a, uh, New York times article that I'd pulled for this. Uh, and Zuckerberg, um, had said that, uh, if there's a response necessary to the nation state's utilization of internet communities that they are willing to rise to the occasion. And dude, when I read that, it just made my skin crawl because like that, dude, it just, it reeks of every dystopian trope of having to like certify your personhood with an internet community. I think, uh, Parker, I know you watch Black Mirror. Uh, I think Carl, of course. You, yeah, I think Carl, have you seen Black I've Mirror? I've watched some, yeah. Yeah, um, it, this just reeks of the episode um, Nosedive where you have to wrap your whole life around your social media existence and define your personhood mm-hmm. by it. And, you know, it becomes... I was hoping you were going to mention the Twitter, the Twitter episode. <laughs> where I haven't, you, I haven't, I haven't gets the most hashtags dies. Yeah, I haven't, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't finished season three yet, so... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. Uh, but uh, it's just, like, that, like, having to protect us from this subversive force, uh, you know, it's just so... It, it, it reeks of this thing that, you know, kind of is just so anti-American. And I wonder what we can do to 
on one hand keep you know i think that i think the big thing is to you know not have a federal government that has these kind of elections and you know have a decent system where we do but like it's just so kind of out there when we have this influence the uh, Senator Warren uh, suggested drafting legislation that would add disclosures to political ads on social media websites, um, but I don't think that that necessarily, like, I, I think that that uh, can be easily subverted. You know what I mean? In, I mean, in I mean we, we already know how that subversion works, right? Because 501c3s uh, function as uh, uh, supposed companies focused at... Um, Nonprofit. Um, well, focused focus at educating the public, right? That's like that's the loophole where super PACs can be political, focused on electing a certain candidate and so on, and get away with it. And mm. and so we already have this legal precedent for being like, oh, this is educational. It's not political. That's how we're able to get like five billion dollars of Koch brother money to spend on telling you global warming's a Chinese hoax. And <laughs> like like that exists as a thing that's already being subverted. And I don't I, I really don't trust the regulatory machine in, in D.C. to handle it. I mean, well, absolutely not. I mean, especially when everything's profit driven and they're just like, here, take our money and run this ads to these these hyper targeted ads with um, a proliferation of data points. Do, do you want to go uh, a little bit into we can we can talk about uh, just sort of the the general scope of big data if you want to, Carl. I don't know how deep you wanted to go into that. I think I think we're we're gonna come to that nut at the end before the end, we'll okay, crack work, that at work. the end. Yeah. I feel you, but in terms of uh, necessarily, I I feel you when everything's kind of uh, you know uh, necessarily just uh, those types of legislative loopholes already being in existence. It seems kind of just uh, more of the same, you know, more of the uh, kind of quiet and, and down now. How do you, how do you feel about are. that, Adam? As the the resident legal scholar. Justice Kennedy sucks. Um, it's he's the worst with Gorsuch on the court. And I mean, like Gorsuch replacing um, Gorsuch replacing Scalia doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, it, it it keeps the numbers even, which is like it'd be cool to have like five, you know, five strong liberals. Um, but I mean, like the the way the Supreme Court votes on like certain issues, like you can't really like put those same liberal conservative lines on there. But it's like. It's so hard because on one hand, we do have a problem that I think that it does definitely exist. There is a, a, a problem that needs to have a, you know, a, a, the, 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 the way we use it, the way it's framed constitutionally is under strict scrutiny, you have to have a, a narrowly tailored means to further a legitimate, compelling government end. And that legitimate, compelling government end is to not have our elections fucked with by Russia, which is legitimate and compelling. Like, I mean, yeah, that's we need to make sure that like outside nation states can't like decide who our leaders are. But like, I think that, uh, you know, from from a legal standpoint, like any kind of regulation on speech, especially political speech, is basically impossible. It just has to be super narrowly tailored. It has to like. Literally, be like, uh, we're banning ads bought <clears throat> by Rush, like bought by IPs from Russia in on Facebook, and even that, even then, use probably, like a proxy. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, not even that, but I mean, it, 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 like, not even just the, the proxy thing, but like, not even that, but it, it probably isn't narrowly tailored enough. Like, mm -hmm. you, you might even have to like be like, the Russian government can't place political advertisements, and it's like, of course they're not going to do that, and so you're not actually doing anything. And but like I think that 
for me, outside of that kind of legal regulation sphere, I think that it really speaks more to a theoretical problem of our government and the fact that we have this massive federal government, we have a, an electoral college that really does not reflect um, the distribution of people and distribution of political ideas. We've spent the last 80 years... Hashtag 3 million votes. Yeah, we've spent the last <laughs> yeah. 80 years being lied to about leftist policy um, and allowing capitalists to run completely unrestrained. And then uh, additionally, it's just that like, uh, the, the Supreme Court has taken a quick case this week and we'll find, or they haven't taken it this week, but they're starting their term this week and it's one of the first cases they're hearing. And um, NPR and More Perfect would have you believe that uh, it's, they're, they're dealing with gerrymandering and they'd have you believe that they're going to give them a way to fix the gerrymandering. But I know Kennedy and he's the one in the middle and I know the conservatives on the court and what they're going to say is uh, the lines are drawn correctly and if uh, old Donnie T and, you know, if, if, if they're, if all of Donnie T is going to sit, I mean, unless he resigns or is impeached, but even then it's Mike Pence or, you know, Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell or whoever is in that seat. As long as the Republicans are in control in 2019, the census in 2020, when we redraw all the, the, the lines will solidify their power for the next 50 years, maybe not the next 50, but at least the next decade. <clears throat> and like right. that, like, it, it's just so hard to overcome. When you have, and I mean, not, it's yeah, it's not even like when you're when you're trying to mess with uh with but with pop, you know what I mean? Especially like trying to rein in the influence from monopolies and like platforms like Facebook, Google, Amazon, you know what I mean? With the amount of money in politics, at the very least, and have that amount of power, you know what I mean? Let alone, you know what I mean? The rearticulation of their own, you know what I'm saying? Uh, place within within the government in terms of gerrymandering etc i get where you're coming from but mm. i'm focused more on the papa Zuck, you know what i mean daddy zucks money like you ain't gonna you know what i mean trying to regulate any any type of internet regulation especially is going to be hit from both sides whereas the corporation you know what i mean the corporate profit interests aren't going to want to be hit as well as the internet activists like net neutrality freedom goers you know what i mean i think it, it's I think just be a very I think Zuckerberg is more excited than any of this because it makes Facebook more powerful. All this regulation, like it just, it, it, it might, you know, restrict it a little bit. I mean, he's got more money than he knows what to do with. They're playing with Monopoly money at that point anyway. And for me, I just, I think, I think it's one of those kind of high goal structures. The more it's built, the more powerful it is because it's more, it's harder to dismantle. And I think that that is something and that Zuckerberg sees and is super stoked about. But speaking of terrible superstructures that exist only because we allow them to, um, so the Trump administration has had kind of a myriad response to this as well. Um, and um, they have tried to kind of use social media as both a tool to rally their own crowd. We already kind of talked about echo chambers earlier, but we're going to talk about that a little bit more. And also silence and ostracize dissenters. Um, and, and, and so the very first thing I wanted to touch on in this is that uh, the Trump administration has called for Facebook to release data to make a list of anti-administration activists. And like, it's your boy. I just give a, a really real example of this. So Carl, we all know Carl is in Germany. Carl and I, 
discuss everything on Facebook. It's just the easiest platform. We both have one. I don't really use my Facebook anymore, but I use the Messenger to talk to Carl because it's easier and we don't, you know, we don't want to text because it would cost a billion dollars. And like, I, we're going to have to move <clears throat> off that platform. Like it literally, like it is, as this escalates, I am at the point where it's like, okay, cool. We have to move off this platform because it, 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 it is becoming. Well, dangerous. it's fucking funny. The, the, the other platform that's used for this, uh, is WhatsApp. It, that's the most common, like international texting thing. And guess who owns WhatsApp, uh, after they bought it for a whopping $19 billion, Facebook. Yeah. Oh Yeah. That's what we're talking and, about, and, but, though, man. Papa Zuck's got the umbrella. You can't, you can't escape it, and that that means I am on multiple lists. So oh, uh, God knows I am. Yeah. But I, I think it's really important with with the Trump administration response to say there there's a fucking history of this shit. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm, the Trump administration is only going to make it worse. That a hundred percent true. A hundred percent true. But already in Obama's administration. For uh, th- there's this program called uh, uh, visa waiver. It's like the visa waiver program mm-hmm. um, for nationals of certain countries that want to come to America, where you can fill out some shit online, and you don't have to apply for a visa to come to America. Like somebody from like China has to get a visa before they can come to America. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you do that, they say. If you don't mind, they started saying this before Trump was president. If you don't mind, please send us your Facebook, your Instagram, your uh, Twitter account. We're going to look over that and take that into consideration when we decide if you need to apply for a visa or if you get this waiver. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so that's already been going on. And then before that, also during the Obama administration, during Occupy, um, the, the like terrorist fusion centers around the country knew Occupy was going to happen like the fucking day the people at Adbusters started talking about organizing the like the Occupy protest which is frightening because they knew it like within like a week and like that's not a joke and then they mobilized the security state to look into that shit right Mm -hmm. so and I mean the FBI came into existence to do two things uh fucking hunt black people and kill unionists right those are the two things that came into existence for uh to keep people down and also also, also, like, keep women from getting the vote. Yeah. So I guess three things. Um, so, so oh I mean, no, just one thing. Just keep, shit. keep, keep, keep power centralized. That's all they were doing. Yeah, essentially. Um, and in the Bush years, if we if we go back a bit, in the Bush years, the fucking legal basis for the NSA spying was so fucking tenuous and crazy that you wouldn't think it it would stand up in court, but it does. And so basically, <laughs> yeah, any traffic that is international um is going through shit that they have put on boxes you know they will literally like put nsa transponders in goods that are getting shipped abroad electronic goods that are getting shipped abroad without a seizure shipping them knowing it yeah it's Um, not a search or a seizure by the way under the fourth amendment yeah (laughs) which is crazy and so since basically all your data the world around is gonna move from America off America because server farms are all over the world. They're already hoovering that shit up. Mm-hmm. And we know that during the fucking Obama administration, supposedly the socialist foreigner administration, right? Which is bullshit, centrist liberal dickwad administration. Mm-hmm. Um, they were hunting left-wing activists. And the fact that Trump is coming out expressly to be like, we gotta fucking find these people, right? Mm-hmm should be utterly terrifying because these companies work with them against left-wing activists. And we know that. 
it, and it, we know that maybe the optics aren't good, but but like like the fact that he's coming out against it expressly and already has all their shit. The fact that we have this history of this, and the fact that a lot of Silicon Valley people are closet fascists is something that really needs to be talked about. Yeah, and, and OPSEC is really important nowadays. Yeah, I, and I just I, as as you know, like you said, our resident legal scholar, uh, I want to note for everyone involved. If you give any information to a third party ever, which is constantly all the time, you know, you use a cell phone, you use a computer. If you hand information to a third party, it's no longer protected by the Fourth Amendment. They don't need your permission. They don't need your consent. They don't need a search warrant. They can just go to the company and demand it. And the company can fight it a little bit, but they have a lot less ability to fight than you do by relying on the Fourth. And so... Mm. Whenever you think about your anything, like like I just I think about phone calls. I think about every time you, you every time you bank at any transaction. Like you, they don't need a search warrant for any of that information under the way the law works. And so we have the Fourth Amendment that says like, oh no, no unreasonable search or seizure, but it doesn't mean anything. It's just it's completely fa- like dead words. But I, and I think that you know kind of one of the thing you know with the one side of like the Trump. And past administrations going after these leftist areas and the way also First Amendment law has like come through the U.S. is that while they're going after these leftists, there are hives of villainy that are, exist on the Internet. And I'm going to try and you know, not say too many of them just so that we don't drive traffic there, but... You know, I think we we all are gluttons for uh, terrible fascist punishment, and you know, Pole and the Donald have. I've been on. I've been on the Donald. <laughs> oh, I I I check it almost every day, and like the but like those places are like spewing much like more violent rhetoric than any leftists are employing, and yet they're allowed to go. And like the way First Amendment law came about in this country is that. During times of war, you're still not allowed to criticize the government, which we're in the forever war now, so, you know, prepare right. yourself. But the people We have, like, who 16 were... years now? Is that what that we're at? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, mm. But, I mean, in, 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 during World War I, when there were communists and socialists who said, and this is also during the Green Corn Rebellion, but who said, hey, the, the draft is in violation of the 13th and the 14th Amendments, and you absolutely do not have to go that is a lie. You have to. You don't have to go. Those people were thrown in jail for their speech, and then in 19- fucking Eugene Debs was thrown in jail for their shit yep. and ran for president from prison. Yep. The the socialist candidate. Yep. You're exactly right. And then where we get the ability to protect uh, political speech in times of non-war was in 1947 when uh, the KKK wanted to burn crosses, and they're allowed to. It's not a threat. And, and so this is, I mean, this that is, balancing, it just is, it's, it's not a historical, it is very historical. And so these places that exist, and there's a lot worse than the ones I've noted. And, and I mean, you know, you can go find the, you know, websites where they talk about white pride and, you know, the genocide of, you know, plenty of people. Right, and right. I mean, and and, and a, another little fun tidbit was, uh, that happened recently, um, last month was, uh, a lot of the, for instance, uh, leftist censoring, partnering with big business was uh, Google intensifying the censorship of left-wing websites. You know what I mean? It was uh, 
the world socialist web, the w, you know what I mean, was one of the I think the largest leftist, uh, one of the largest leftist magazines out there, um, or at the very least leftist sites, and it had and it dropped uh, like its search traffic on Google dropped by like fifty five percent since April or something like that. It was absolutely ridiculous, and Google had since denied you know what I mean, uh, changing any of its uh, algorithmic senses of of, of uh, diverting traffic, but I. That's just, you know, like I said, big business targeting those types of those types of websites. And I mean, every, everyone knows that big business, like fucking ask IBM how big business feels about fascism. And they'll tell you about the time that they used computers to make the Holocaust more efficient. Like big business and fascism can be great friends. I don't they, know they what Operation along. Paperclip is. <clears throat> Google, Operation fucking, Google, Google Operation Paperclip. <laughs> uh, there's an NPR article about that shit, about how we kept people in concentration camps until 47 while we were forging documents to get Nazis to America. I, I, Google I, I, fucking Operation Gladius okay. and see how the CIA was literally straight up like, hey, Italian fascists, we know we just like kill, basically got Mussolini lynched by the partisans, but do you all want to kill the people that we just fought with? Because that would be bad if we did. Like, Google that shit. Yeah. And, and so I, I think that I think we're about to get I think this conversation is about to about to happen naturally. But I want to say one more thing about the kind of Trump administration mm-hmm. response before we move on to, uh, yeah, the way that the powerful liberals of the world have been supporting these evil policies. Um, but I, so those Russian advertisers that we talked about earlier, like you could put out the, those, those divisive things and just throw them into the Internet and they not really matter. I mean, you know. You can look at the effect that some of those, I mean, I, some of those, you know, rough websites that, um, that the hard right wingers use aren't very influential, but they were targeting their ads at a, a precinct level for voters. And, the, and I, I'm just going to go ahead and say this because I think, you know, the only reason these people haven't been brought up on charges is because of who's in the White House, but... Donald Trump Jr. and Paul Manafort were in charge of that. Jared Kushner was the head of mm-hmm. uh, their social media campaigns, and they gave that information to the Russians. They said, these are the places we need to, if not win, we at least need it to be a tie. I think it was like uh, Michigan, wasn't it uh, Michigan mm-hmm. and Wisconsin or something like that? It was two, two of the northern states. Uh, yeah, and I mean, um, what, heavily, was, uh, it was the Iowa. Targeted. It was the Iowa primary that that was one mm. of the other ones that uh, got Donnie because they they ran a bunch of stuff that like basically smeared all the Republicans and just made it look like such a terrible showing of Republicans that no one showed up except for Donald Trump voters, and like mm. that was one of the the pretty well documented ones so far. But yeah, Michigan. I, it was it was it was several of those states because it wasn't the you know they were never going to win New York and you know they were probably never going to win California, but. What they were going to do is, you know, make either, de- de- you know, depress or suppress the vote by suppressing turnout so much that it just didn't happen. They fucking, they, they had targeted ads being like, hey, remember how Hillary Clinton called black people super predators yep. in the 90s? Remember, like, to depress black turnout. Yep. And I mean, to some extent, um... Like, like this is part critique, of a problem because but... it's like this is a valid critique of Hillary Clinton that is important. Yeah, I, I can't really argue that one. But well, at the same time, like they were they were weaponizing this shit. They were able to yeah. weaponize yeah. this shit. Yeah. Right. And and they were doing what what is Russian policy and has been Russian policy in Europe for years now, where they they go for the left and they go for the right. And in Europe, when they go for the left, 
They get to go for the left because of the history of the USSR. And they get to go for the right because Russia is run by a strongman dictator who wants to kill gay people, right? Yep. And they did that exact same thing here, too, where they were like, hey, let's help Trump. Trump is our friend. And then they're also like, oh, the left. Uh, you know, people have a, a, a bit of a hangover to this day, I think, about the USSR. Mm. It's fucking terrifying. And yeah, and so, I, I, but I think, and then, you know, just to touch on that point, and then that leads into what we were talking about just a second ago, which is that the, you know, powerful social uh, Silicon Valley liberals of the world who support, you know, who, who, who you know, d- you know, Hillary Clinton and her ilk who love to su- support gay marriage and support gender equality and yada, 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 but they push. As a 2010. Yeah. But they push policy that, uh, you know, commodifies resources that should never be commodified, like our private information and, you know, data regarding our personal beliefs. And one of the, my biggest ones is rights to DNA and genomes, um, because th- that is something that, you know, companies are, like, they push for this to be able to, you know, c- tighten control and to keep their power centralized. Well, and also, I mean, I think it rings so fucking hollow um, to hear Hillary Clinton be like, Russians stole this election by using Facebook whenever, or, or I guess I should do it in, the Russians stole this election by <laughs> using Facebook ads. Uh, I guess, I guess that's how pass we're out halfway through. now uh, on left-wing podcast. That's how <laughs> you, that's Democrat voice. Um, but, Democrat I mean, voice. Like, like somebody who, who went up there and was like, capitalism is great. I love capitalism and Bernie Sanders is wrong. We are not Denmark. To hear someone giving this fucking full-throated defense of capitalism, being like, socialism is bad, blah, 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 then complain about this. The fact that Facebook is selling these ads, oh, Facebook shouldn't sell ads to the Russians or something. Fuck you, okay? You can't fucking hold that position because Facebook has one goddamn job. And Facebook has had that one job since it came into existence. And that job is making money. That is the whole point of capitalism. That is why Hillary Clinton defended capitalism. Any centrist Democrat that wants to fucking tell me, oh, no, it's bad that Russia did this, also has to complain about that. Yeah, bro. Like that, Take liberalism. It, they, 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 they just want their drones, too. Okay. <laughs> but I mean... I mean, this is like this is this I, is I really the, I'm just shitting on you. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just it's just this is the fundamental point. Like, um, we we have this idea that Facebook is this company or, or it's something like a public service or something because we don't pay any money to it, right? We right. as Facebook quote unquote users um, don't pay money to use Facebook, and so we're like, oh yeah, it's just this thing that we have. But Facebook is still a profit-driven company that has like a, a market capitalization of like $445 billion, right? Mm-hmm. It is a huge cash cow. Fifth, fifth biggest in the world. Yeah. And, and be, like there's this internet maxim of if it's free, you're the product. Mm-hmm. And, and in Facebook, you're the product. That's the whole point. Because Facebook makes money by selling these kinds of ads to Russians, right? Looks like you're getting Absolutely. into the, so, our fifth point of uh, our big rundown. This is, I, this, is, this is my fucking shit right here, yeah, okay? I know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and th there's a couple articles I'm gonna put up on the subreddit that I'd like people to read that I'm uh, I'm drawing on, even though I don't necessarily agree with everything in them. Um, but like fundamentally, how Facebook makes money is it provides a space for social interaction, right? Which is cool. It's like a bar or a coffee shop or a park or a house where you can hang out with your friends, you can talk, and that's really awesome. That has all the same awesome shit that we talked about at the at the top of this, you know, connecting people, letting people get new political viewpoints, you know, finding out that you have some friends that are socialist is a big deal for a lot of people, I think, mm -hmm. because suddenly they're like, oh, socialism is not that scary. I know that person. Um, but at the same time, because we live in a capitalist world, right? What Facebook does, and, and, and to be relatively Marxist in terms of how I talk about this, is it generates surplus value through the primitive accumulation of social relationships, right? Previously, how you would make money is you buy a plot of land that has some gold underneath it, you send some people to dig the gold out, you pay them enough money that they can sustain themselves and keep working for you and you pocket the rest, right? Right. This is like very classic, oh, how you make profit. Um, and what Facebook does instead is I have just pictured all of you us... in like a like a like a top hat with a gold <laughs> tooth. I continue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just actually uh, the Monopoly man, except I'm a peanut. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hmm. um but, but what Facebook so does. Facebook uses emotional the emotional labor of friendship, right? And that's that's been a thing. Facebook doesn't make money by with attention or anything like that. Like there's an article I'm gonna put up there called You Are the Product by John Lanchester that I really like, but he he argues that Facebook makes money as an ad company. And and it does make money through selling ads, but it does that because it's monetized our interpersonal relationships at this point in time, right? So you post a photo with your kid in it, or you post a photo with your girlfriend. And Facebook uses that and says, okay, this person has a girlfriend, this person has these data points. What is that person like? Maybe I can, you know, get them to buy something for that person. And then say, Adam, I post a photo with Masha. You like it. It's like, oh, you like friends. That's a data point I can use, right? Mm -hmm. And so on. And, and so the normal relationships that we have become a new horizon for the accumulation of profit, of surplus value. And it does that by monetizing, you know, what, what we assume is, is this free service. And how it does that is precisely in the way that we described the Russians buying these ads, right? Paul Manafort, Jared Kushner, et cetera, were saying, we need ads targeting these people in these locations. And I've done, I've actually looked at this shit because now that we have the Facebook page as part of the show. Oh my God, it's um, creepy. It's creepy. If you go and you type in that ad shit, right? We haven't bought any ads or anything because we're broke shit. Um, yeah. But I, I messed with it for this, for, for this episode, right? I can say locations. I can say fucking postal codes, right? And then I can say, I want X boxes ticked. I want, I want Democrat. I want very liberal. I want interested in left-wing politics. I want interested in irony bullshit, right? I want all of these things that I make like it an sound irony like... bullshit tag. <laughs> Point <laughs> me to that. Was... <laughs> Point me to that shit posting. Where's that? I, at? I will. I will find it. I swear <laughs> to God. Um, I appreciate that. But so you you could get in this specific shit, and the whole time you change it, right? You change how much money you want to pay for it, and it says you're going to reach like X amount of people will see this ad. There is a pool of Y amount of people that these uh, uh, things. Um, 
that meet these characteristics in the area you're trying to do this at, right? And and it's not it's not just like, oh, do they like the Facebook page music, you know? It's Facebook drawing this data out of out of your likes, out of your your description of who you are, your bio, right? Drawing it out of where you're clicking on and shit like that and yeah, turning dude. that into profit. It is fucking terrifying. Mm-hmm. Can I uh, tell them about my my little experiment that I've been performing, Carl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. So uh, as the resident tech techie tech expert person, I got a degree in computer science. Um, I've been fucking around with this. Um, I'll actually send you the link to it, Adam, because I think you'd, you'd find it pretty interesting as well um, after this. Uh, but it's um, called Data Selfie. Um, it's a Chrome extension that some uh, one dude from a privacy uh, a privacy uh, centered uh, coding group put together. It's uh, it's open source. It's on GitHub. Um, it's it's been packaged as a Chrome extension for easy download, but it necessarily um, like uh, tracks your activity. Like you can you can turn it on. You can go. It's specifically tied to Facebook, but it tracks your activity of what you look at, how long you look at something, what you like, what you click, what you type in. Like uh, what you type in, like uh, text boxes. Without you, you don't even necessarily have to post it. It then applies natural language processing and machine learning algorithms from IBM Watson and the University of Cambridge, which are uh, they they're two pretty lead innovators in machine learning. Which we can go into it a little bit. But uh, they turn this data into um, like insight into the data points that Carl is talking about, right? Um, the, the the Chrome extension itself uh, talks like has a dashboard. It shows like aggregated Facebook activity and a timeline. Um, but it it'll it can give you stuff um, like uh, personality predictions on whether or not you're conservative or liberal or like like political spectrum things, sort of impulsive, spontaneous or organized, uh, contemplative or engaged with the outside world. Um, it can necessarily uh, try to. Uh, it tries to uh, predict your shopping performances, your religious orientations. Um, the political orientations are limited to conservative, liberal, libertarian, or uninvolved. But I mean, it can give you it, like it even goes as specific as like um, not likely to eat out frequently, not likely to have a gym membership, own a gun. Like I, I mean, I, I went really, really deep into this in terms of like statistics. They, they there's been some things at the University of Cambridge that talked about. Um, they, they've sort of uh, created artificially intelligent algorithms that mine Facebook likes, and the computer models were able to accurately predict the person's personality more accurately than their friends, their families. Um, in a study, like the computer could be more accurately predict like your personality of a work colleague by analyzing 10 likes, more than a roommate with 70, more than a family member or sibling with 150, and a spouse with 300. Right. So that just kind of gives you. The, like the amount of data that we put out in the in the numerous amounts of data points, it's not just specifically like what you like or what you click on. Yeah, it's, it's all actually... of these things are hyper tailored. Like the amount of things it, it it takes into, and these are just like some of the basic level ones, as opposed to how complicated the ones are that Facebook uses, right? And you can kind of view export. They're specifically not about collecting your data so everything's stored locally, but it's it's it gives you some fantastic insight as to some of the, uh, just some of the hyper, like what, how many data points that, that just even basically cover you as opposed to uh, the amount of server farms that 
uh, Facebook already owns or leases from Amazon and or IBM, you know what I mean, to store all these massive amounts of information that they then mine, farm, and then either sell off to other companies, you know what I mean, which is something that Carl was explicitly talking about and in supporting their, uh, in supporting Facebook, uh, but necessarily also these hyper-targeted ads that allowed for this sort of, uh, this sort of, I guess, so environment like to take place, right? Facebook, Facebook manages like, and we think it's just like, like if you're, if you're um, on Facebook, that's where they mine their data. And that is a very important part of how they mine their data. But any single web page you go on that has a little Facebook like button, the share on Facebook button, right? Mm -hmm. Facebook gets the information that you were on that page from that button. So True. essentially nowadays, it is impossible for you to go on a web page unless you're on some weird fucking tour bullshit without Facebook knowing that you went there. Mm -hmm. And and one of the one of the scariest things to me about this, and, and this is something that I think is also massively important and something that neither conservatives nor liberals fucking do, is to say that like the fucking Stasi would crane their goddamn genes Yo. if they could get their hands on that kind of information. Facebook right. knows so much about you, like you just described, Parker, that with the right amount of information, they can better tell how you behave than your fucking spouse. Yep. And that is in the hands of a company that has one interest, making fucking money. That, like, like, we talk about how we need to make the NSA, the CIA responsible to the government, responsible to the people, et cetera, et cetera. People get offended about the NSA spying on them. And we're right. We should be scared about that. We should have democratic say over the information that people have access to about us. We should know what people are doing with the data that they have about us. Fundamentally, we have a right to that. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is to fucking nationalize Facebook, is to say, no more Facebook. This is not a private company anymore because they have so much information. And, mm -hmm. and if you want to fucking complain about the government having this information, ask yourself, what is more terrifying, right? Our democracy is not the best democracy in the planet. That's part of why we're doing this segment, because the Russians were able to fuck with it so intensely. But it's still a democracy. We, we still did elect Donald Trump. Like, Donald Trump went up against Hillary Clinton because Hillary Clinton beat Bernie Sanders, even if she also stole that primary. Um, why but, couldn't she steal the election, is my question. <laughs> yeah, I know. She fucking should have called the Russians, goddammit. I know. Right. They would have loved to take like, the money. Like, we don't elect Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg is not elected. He's not responsible to us. He has nothing. The only way he will be responsible to us is if it's profitable for him. See the means, problem. baby. One of uh, one of exactly. the, the uh, s some some more juicy juicy statistics for you. Um, every sixty seconds on Facebook, uh, you get like five hundred ten thousand comments, two hundred ninety three thousand status updates, and one hundred thirty six thousand photos. And like I said, one in five pages viewed in the United States occurs through the medium of Facebook. So Yo. legitimately, it is Facebook has become such a ubiquitous platform for not only content creation, not only for staying involved with other people, but literally it is a medium for accessing a myriad of uh, one fifth of the Internet. Like that to me, that's just ludicrous, and like that—that's enough to be like, okay, yeah, y'all don't get like a whole profitable control over this platform anymore. Like, like it, it's necessitated that we engage in this to even interact, like to even have any type of social life to begin with. You know what I mean? To necessarily keep up with people, to be involved with particular businesses, to uh, it just receive content. Uh, you know, 
how are you going to share to, stuff with our friends? You know? How are you like, going? Part of you would, that's why everything like MySpace and Google. I don't. I don't care if you have a Google Plus account or whatever the hell. Google just props that shit up because they're Google. But you know what I mean. That's why all of these sort of competitors. You, you'd have to convince such a large audience to have this mass exodus. You know what I mean to get any type of foothold into. Fa that's why all all the competitors die and Facebook's turning into this giant umbrella company. You know what I mean where they necessarily buy. They, Facebook has. They're art like they're they're super into artificial intelligence, right? They have a an algorithm or a, an artificially intelligent program that that uh, monitors the stock market to see if any up and coming uh, startups are potential threats, and then they buy them out. That is what they did with Instagram. That is what they did with WhatsApp. WhatsApp. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and uh, one of my one of my favorite. I mean, obviously one of the as as a developer, right? Um, it's actually <laughs> become a joke that. Um, your 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 number one dream as a developer is to make the next Snapchat and sell it to Facebook for a hundred million dollars, right? Mm -hmm. You can never really do that. But I think Carl and I had this conversation the other day, which as Snapchat hilariously um, is one is an example of an app that you know necessarily was really hard to monetize since it's been sold for a hundred million dollars to whoever the hell bought Snapchat. I forget. Um, its stock has compressed, has plummeted just because y you know uh, if you swipe, you act you're looking through people's face like Snapchat stories, and you accidentally swipe right to all of that tabloid bullshit. You know what I mean? That you never watch because who does, right? Uh, but that's necessarily the only way they've tried to monetize Snapchat. They've tried to put ads at the end of people's stories necessarily, but it's, it's, it's all about that user base. You know what I mean? Anything that is, that is, that is, that is monetizable that you, you can make money off of that is profitable is all about the user base. And that's what it ends up selling on the market. And so Facebook's trying well, to buy up all of the users to anything that, you know what I mean? That might, that's why Twitter apparently is dying. Vine died, you know what I mean? For, for the same reason. So it's also why, it's also why it's so, why nationalization is literally the only option because mm. Facebook works because everyone is on it. Like the reason all the others are dying out is because so many people are on Facebook. If I want to fucking talk to my grandma, I can talk to her on Facebook. If I want to talk to my, my godparents, I can talk to them on Facebook. I, one of my godparents is on Snapchat. She has no clue what the fuck that shit is. She just does not know how it works. <laughs> That's true. It's cute, but it doesn't work. That's Facebook also very limited in the connection. scope. It's also very limited in the scope of what you can do, 10-second videos and slash or images. You know what I mean? There's not much to monetize there. So, But it is efficient in what it does. And so the user yeah, base, but, you know but, what I mean? But the point is that but, it, to, to keep Facebook it around, Facebook, works. No, Facebook works. And anything like this works because all the people use it. It's the same. Like Facebook is basically mm -hmm. like roads, right? right? It's this system that undergirds life in modern society. Outside of Russia and China, where they use their, their their own systems, and then outside of Russia, China, and Iran, and then outside of places that don't have internet, yet, yeah, right, mm -hmm. right. It, it it is a fundamental under like uh, infrastructure to modern social existence, mm -hmm. and and as proper Marxists, seizing the infrastructure, seizing the means of production is 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 an important part of democratically controlling society, and and when Facebook is worth like if you put it on a list of fucking GDP nominal GDPs in the world, it would be the 26th richest country in the world, right? That mm -hmm. is the most terrifying thing that we have no control over it. Other than, other than, and I mean, think about that. How much stock would you have to fucking buy a Facebook to do that? Literally, like fucking Thailand could not afford to buy 
all of Facebook if every penny in Thailand went to that. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. And, well, and think about, I, I mean, just like if we don't do that, then the kind of shit that the Russians pulled is going to happen every time because Facebook doesn't give a shit about anything other than money. Yep. Because we live in a society where if Facebook gave a shit about something other than money, some company that didn't would take over Facebook and destroy it. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah, I think that I think that's uh, the, 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 the kind of thesis of our, our, our wanting to explain this and walk through it all. Um, I'm going to give you guys, do you guys have any uh, last points you want to make before we move on to Oklahoma news for the week? Fuck the um, Zuck. <laughs> I mean, yeah, definitely. Uh, I have a, I have a, a nice quote that I thought you would, uh, that I found that I thought you'd enjoy, Adam. Cool. Um, it's by a man named Dr. Simon Moores. He's an expert on cybersecurity. Um, but he said that uh, behavioral modeling involves big data analytics. Uh, oh, it says behavioral modeling involving big data analytics has arguably passed an inflection point. Uh, thanks to the growth of predictive analytics, algorithms, and big data mining businesses, you can now look forward to a future that's made up of equal parts of Orwell, Kafka, and Huxley. Yep. Yep. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's, it's you know, I, I we talked last week, and one of the images that always sticks with me is Orwell's black boot stomping on a human face for eternity. And I think that that mm. exists in a lot of ways, but I think that, yeah, the, the Huxley Kafka on the other end of we'll just dope them all and know what they're thinking before they think it. And I mean, it's just the combination of Soma and doublethink in the same thing, because I mean, I'm sure, and I'm sure you guys are, you know, both aware, but I mean, yeah, they, you know, people who chase likes and chase internet fame. I mean, it's the same as taking drugs. It, 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 it kicks your brain. The same. It, it literally, lit literally, <laughs> literally is the same as taking drugs. Yep. I was about to say one, one other thing, one last stat that I've got uh, that kind of blew my mind. I don't know if it'll blow yours. Carl and I were having a discussion about it a couple hours ago. Um, so I, uh, this the same the same sort of data driven this this sort of big big data analytics being used in politics isn't really new. Uh, he and I were having a discussion about uh, Cambridge Analytica, right, which is a company that tries to uh, take a bunch of uh, different uh, data points and analyze voters and tailor your messages towards particular voters and slash or uh, centrist voters, right? Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton campaigns employed behavioral profiling companies, same type of thing. Um, the Vote Leave campaign uh, at a, at a, for paid three three and a half million euro uh, to a tiny Canadian company, which specialized in targeting Facebook ads for Brexit and stuff, which was, you know, super cool. But to, to keep to keep on the Trump side of things, um, one of my uh, it said uh, I, I found an article that was pretty much every message that Trump put out was data driven uh, by Ale this dude named Alexander Nix, who headed the same the same company that was that made three and a half million euro for the Brexit campaign, they kind of managed it. That they said on the on the day of the third presidential debate between Trump and Clinton, Trump's team tested 175,000 different ad variations for his arguments in order to find the right version above all via these tailored Facebook ads. That the messages differed for the most part in only like microscopic details, but in order to target the recipients in like the optimal psychological way, different headings, colors, captions with a photo or video fine-tune, you know, reaching all the way down to the smallest groups. I was about to say, trying to add, like, address villages or apartment blocks in a certain targeted way, even individuals, and that, like, the, the, the mere fact that, like, they can target people in this way, and that they, they even went to 
door-to-door knockers, right? So people who were who were making knocks that um, in July 2016, uh, Trump canvassers were provided with an app in which they could identify the political views and personality types of the inhabitants of a house by just looking at the front of the house and, you know what I mean, what they had. It was the same app providers used by Brexit campaigners to do the same thing, but Trump's people only rang at the doors of houses that apps rated as receptive to his message, and the canvassers came prepared with, like, guidelines for conversations tailored to the personality type of the resident. They had, like, 16 different personality types they tried to approach and in turn the canvassers fed the reactions into the app and the new data flowed back to the dashboards of the trump campaign and it was sort of a cyclic pattern where they tried to reify and perfect their own little uh, their own little method and so they definitely weren't handing all of that data to uh russian bots to target oh precinct level advertisers I, I, yeah, I'm. I'm just saying, man. Oh, no, no, I, it, it, it was it was a multi-pronged offensive, and that big y- y'all need to be very. All you listeners need to be very aware of big data, of how much you put on the internet, and to how uh, artificial intelligence specifically. I'm not talking like Skynet level stuff. You know what I mean? I wish you know. You are must yeah, that'd be something else. But in terms of just being able to effectively target you and sell you something based upon uh, whatever sort of uh, ideal ideological points you stand by, so it it's 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 getting very 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 uh, dystopian. Yeah, yeah, very creepy. We- uh, it is October. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, spooky time. All right. <clears throat> Uh, so this week is going to be a bit of a special edition since we ran so long discussing Facebook and everything. Um, and so rather than doing Oklahoma news, we are going to uh, just do um, our conservative reading list. And, and this week's conservative reading list is kind of a hybrid um, because while it's not really going to be something that we read that's conservative, that's terrible, we're just going to go through some quotes from uh, Carl's favorite gentleman in Oklahoma, Mr. Uh, Mark Wayne Mullen. It's a me, a Marquin. <laughs> <laughs> You've been waiting all day to. I have been so excited to make that damn joke. Damn it. <laughs> um. Well, so Mr. Mullen had a town hall in Tahlequah, um, which is within his constituency, and uh, we're gonna kind of go through it, but um. It started out pretty rough for him. This is we we're pulling this from a Tulsa World article, and we'll put this up on the uh, Facebook page. But um, <laughs> uh, basically, this this meeting started off with people just literally being like, "All right, you're you're awful," uh, and just just generally being uh, pretty rough. The, uh, one woman named Sarah Dunlap uh, had. Ha- went on for a, a lot of subjects, but then asked uh, Mr. Mullen why he was running for a fourth term after he was saying he wouldn't. And Mark Wayne said he couldn't answer a quote-unquote political question at a meeting he attends as a member of Congress. But he suggested that she check his campaign website. <laughs> it's in a Q&A, <laughs> FAQ section underneath that, actually. I don't want to waste my time giving you a one three-word answer. Because uh, I want to. The the actual the actual question on the FAQ is why am I a lying son of a bitch? <laughs> See, I want to check his FAQ to figure out why he's passing out small American flags at the door of his at the door of his town hall meetings. That I way, if you if you kneel when you see the flag, they know that the cops can shoot you without getting in legal trouble. Damn. 
That's fair. Um, I don't like Mark Wimbledon, if that's not clear, guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I want to read uh, one of the paragraphs. Um, the words Barack Obama, a sort of get-out-of-jail-free card for cornered Oklahoma politicians in recent years, had no currency with this crowd. Its questions were mostly about President Donald Trump and the Republican agenda. Like, that is so, I mean, because basically Mark Wayne is sitting in Congress going, oh, we need to repeal Obamacare, and also we haven't done literally anything. <laughs> I think this is one of the funniest things, like, uh, all these Republicans are all of a sudden faced with the fact that they can't just be like, a, a POC's in office. So <laughs> yeah. they have to do something, and they're like, oh, shit, uh, actually, racial resentment is basically why I'm a politician. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and... Um, so one of the well, I, I think this is the um, I think this is a really good uh, this is the end of the article and uh, my, my favorite quote from Mr. Mullen in this. But um, yeah, a gentleman was asking um, uh, about, you know, saying that like, oh, well, you know, this has saved my life. The ACA and Obamacare have saved my life and have, you know, allowed my family to you know, benefit. And uh, Mullen said, premiums on the exchange have tripled. And someone in the crowd shouted, whose fault is that? To which Mullen replied, Obama. Obama. This, uh, <laughs> the, the article says, this might have turned around the crowd a year ago, but Friday it elicited mostly groans and derisive laughter. Is in your insurance better than it was before the ACA? Mullen asked at another point. Yes, many in the crowd shouted back. Mullen tried to strike think... a conciliatory note. <laughs> saying such discussions are necessary. I know I'm not perfect, he said at one point. I say stupid stuff all the time. To be clear, um, he only says stupid stuff. Like, that, yeah. like he, he's never said smart stuff. It's um, emphasis on all the time. Like, all the, <laughs> all the time means literally 100% of the time. This is, this is the guy who said that his entire, like, every single penny that he gets from his government job was paid for by his, his fucking plumbing business, the taxes that he pays on his plumbing business. Stupid. This is the guy who said Obama is why premiums are going up, not because insurance companies and the Trump administration are trying to sabotage Obamacare because they're angry that they can't make more money off people dying than they do already. (laughs) (laughs) This guy, literally, if, if you play Super Mario Bros and you just take Mario quotes from that, you will hear smarter, more intelligent political stuff than if you listen to Mark Wayne Mullen. (laughs) <laughs> the 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 other great quote he was asked about um regulation of guns and he said you can't regulate stupidity or crazy uh but what's amazing to me is it seems that stupidity and crazy have become sentient put on a white shirt and held a town hall in Tahlequah to discuss how dumb they are <laughs> oh man i love <laughs> scapegoating the mentally ill it's so nice <sighs> You forgot to append uh, to you can't regulate stupidity with, but you can elect it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, Parker, you're exactly right. Yeah, the the scapegoating of the mentally ill. Yeah, we don't have a gun problem. We have a mentally ill problem, but let's not give them any insurance so that they could you know go to doctors and get some help. <laughs> let's just let them you know freewheel it, and also let's let them buy guns. It, not to get too far off topic about that, but like, there's so many people that I see on social media that are like. Well, you know, 
drugs kill just as many people every year, and we have laws against drugs, so if we make laws against guns, people can still get drugs all the time. And I'm like, they're... Handguns aren't as proliferatory as, 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 as weed. Like, <laughs> like you... I, also, it's it's hard also, to get illegal drugs compared to get like I, yeah, getting this, aspirin at this the dude, at, at the fucking. You go to the Walgreens and you get your damn no, aspirin. This it's a lot easier talking. to buy cigarettes or alcohol than it is to buy weed. You fucking. Not only shuds. that, but this dude was sitting here like trying to cite, uh, trying to cite like like uh, gun numbers, like like like, uh, like suicide, like death by gun. You know what I mean? Suicide numbers by like drugs, right? Overdoses. <laughs> And I'm like, firstly, this uh, like like drug drug use and suit like you know overdoses by drugs. Only, I don't know why I have to explain the difference between like a suicide and a homicide to you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I thought it would be pretty apparent that those words aren't the same. So, so this but, guy you're saying was as stupid as Mark Wayne Mullen. Probably <laughs> because he then also said that um, I I bet I could get you any number of illegal I could get you any illegal drug you could ever want and I was like okay so I need like three tons of cocaine I need uh, like 16 packs of chemotherapy medication uh, <laughs> yeah I was like can you can you get it for me like he's well, like hey, if, if I need it I could probably find it. Hey, I'll tell you what. You can go to the Tulsa Gun Show and get uh, every assault rifle you'd ever want. And you would have an absolute blast. There were drug conventions where I could go and get drugs. Oh, whatever. You went to to EDC or whatever this year. Now that Obama made socialist Stalin healthcare, you can just go get your MDMA acid, make you murder baby drugs at any doctor, and they have to give it to you. That's why Mark Wayne Mullen doesn't like Obamacare. (laughs) Yeah. I I didn't want to try to open the opium, you know what I mean, and how, you know, we've Doctors have totally screwed over the entirety of the United States with that guy because yeah. I was like, "Oh, you probably don't know how to tie your shoes." <laughs> so, well, that's all right. I, I think that's going to be about it for uh, us this week. We went a little long again, but hey, it wasn't as bad as our uh, thirty-minute tirade last week. Uh, but uh, Carl, I think you have some uh, interesting news you'd like to share with the people. Yeah, so uh, we got some some cool stuff coming up. Next week, we're going to have an interview about a cool exhibition happening in Tulsa. Y'all should go check out. So uh, stay tuned for more deets on that. We'll be interviewing the guys set it up. Um, and we're also thinking about setting up like a, a WordPress or Blogspot or some kind of bullshit um, to post some articles to accompany stuff we talk about on the show. If we do some long form stuff, like we might write up this uh, internet stuff and post it. Uh, I, I've got some other stuff in the works that I don't want to spoil yet. So if that sounds like something you listeners would be interested in in reading, you know, being involved with, uh, come on, let us know. Send us an email. Um, you can tweet at us that we're stupid and shouldn't do that at Red Star Over OK. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and message us that we're stupid and shouldn't do that at facebook.com slash Red Star Over OK. I know we spent this whole time shooting on Facebook, but please have Facebook page. Too powerful. It's too strong for us. It's too powerful, guys. That's what solidarity is about. Coming together, throwing over the capitalists, making gay space content. That's, that's the move, guys. Um, you can go check us out on our subreddit for the articles we're using for uh, uh, these kind of episodes where we go long and deep into stuff. We'll be posting them. That's reddit.com slash r slash red star over Oklahoma. Find us on SoundCloud at red star over Oklahoma. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes, guys. Please come on, rate and review us. It's not that hard. It sets it up. You just click 
five stars and you call it good. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can email us questions, comments, concerns, death threats, uh, love emails, uh, inappropriate photos at redstaroverok at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, tell your friends about us, guys. Yeah. Just and hey, th- tell your friends hey, about us and put some posters up. Yeah. And hey, Parker, thank you so much for being on the, the show this week and bringing your insight. It oh, was sure. uh, awesome to, to hear what you had to say on this topic. So, Absolutely. I hope I'll be invited back and get as much shit email hate as... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Especially people that when I pronounce shit wrong, you know? And, uh... Well, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you guys for listening this week. It was a great show. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Mm-hmm.